Hello, and welcome to today's podcast on nitrous oxide. My name is Alex Papangelo, and I'm an anesthesiologist at Emory University Hospital. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Jeff Pasternak, who is an associate professor, professor of anesthesiology and perioperative medicine at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota. At Mayo Clinic, Dr. Pasternak has served as the chair of the Division of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology for the last 10 years and the program director of Neuroanesthesiology Fellowship for the last six years. He is the course director and sole lecturer for both a physics course and chemistry course at the Mayo School of Health Sciences. He has won Teacher of the Year in Anesthesiology Department 10 times, was inducted into the Mayo Fellows Associate Teacher Hall of Fame, and was a recipient of the Mayo School of Health Sciences Outstanding Physician Scientist Teaching Award, an award given to only two physicians or scientists each year from among all the physicians and scientists at Mayo Clinic. He was a past president of SNAC and is currently the anesthesiology section editor of Up to Date. He has authored or co-authored the annual anesthesiology update for the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology since 2004. He has over 50 peer-reviewed publications that include some data on the use of nitrous oxide in the neurosurgical population. Nitrous oxide has been a polarizing anesthetic for use in the setting of neurosurgery. The literature is littered with debates and misperceptions are widespread. Trainees are often taught that nitrous is contraindicated in neurosurgery. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss the evidence for nitrous oxide in a balanced fashion and to address many of these misperceptions. Jeff, what do you believe are the benefits of nitrous during neurosurgery? Well, I can potentially see multiple benefits. It's a very short-acting anesthetic and uh, somebody who works in an academic center where I'm working with trainees who are not so adept at you know, kind of titrating a quick emergence, it sort of buys this little bit of margin of safety uh, for me in that I can you know, still sort of uh, have a way to, to um, have a quick emergence even if somebody forgot to, to turn the anesthetic down toward the end of the procedure. I also feel that nitrous oxide offers a, a very nice hemodynamic profile. I don't know if this has to do with you know, an analgesic effect or whether it's offsetting the use of some vasodilating anesthetics. Um, but I will admit that there are some problems and some limitations with nitrous oxide use, and I'm hoping that we'll discuss some of those during this podcast. One of the first items that is brought up is concern for the increased pneumocephalus after the use of nitrous. Is there any evidence for this? Yes, there is definitely evidence for increased risk for pneumocephalus with nitrous oxide use. However, it's really related to the way it's used. If you sort of step back and look at some case reports, there are multiple case reports in the literature where patients who had a craniotomy and uh, nitrous oxide was used as part of a balanced anesthetic, and then uh, subsequently the patient developed a tension pneumocephalus post-op. And if you look at the discussions, they'll say that nitrous oxide does this funny thing with with 
gas enclosed spaces, so it must have been due to nitrous oxide. But, you know, really there are multiple case reports in the literature with uh, patients who have had craniotomies where nitrous oxide wasn't used and they also developed a, a pneumocephalus. So it's really hard to necessarily point the finger at nitrous oxide just based on all of those case reports. Um, nitrous oxide really shouldn't be used in somebody where there is a concern uh, for intradural air um, but in this closed gas space. So, you know, anybody who's had a recent craniotomy, anybody who's had a dural breach for a recent spine surgery, um, you really should be concerned that there's potentially some air contained within uh, that closed gas space. And in that circumstance, you really shouldn't use nitrous oxide. Um, however, Karen Domino published some prospective data back in 1992 that basically showed that if nitrous oxide was used throughout the case, and even following dural closure, that ICP elevations were not observed following dural closure and postoperatively. And this was really supported by um, other animal other animal data. So if you are using nitrous oxide as part of the case, um, it's okay to continue it. Uh, toward the, once the dura is closed, but nitrous oxide really isn't a drug that for a craniotomy should be started at the end of the case if it wasn't used throughout the procedure. The second debatable topic is the impact on CMRO2 and cerebral blood flow. Yeah, that's true. The literature can be quite difficult to interpret. I think it's very clear um, in both human and animal studies that nitrous oxide does increase cerebral blood flow. However, its effect on, cerebr uh, on cerebral blood volume is a little less clear. I mean, if you kind of use some, some principles from physics, the flow through a, uh, a, a tube or a blood vessel is dependent on the radius to the fourth power, whereas volume changes are are dependent on radius to the second power. So a change in uh, you know, vasodilatation is going to lead to um, a greater uh, magnitude of a change in blood flow as, it's gonna, as it would uh, blood volume. And that would be only if you were attributing uh, the hemodynamic effects of nitrous oxide solely on vasodil vasodilation, which they may not necessarily be. Um, there's been some recent human data that has showed really minimal effect on, of, on nitrous oxide on cerebral metabolic rate and really no significant effects of nitrous oxide on cerebral blood volume. And I mean, to be honest with you, I would bet our neurosurgeons couldn't tell the difference in brain bulk between a, uh, a volatile-based technique with or with ni without nitrous oxide. Providers are always concerned about PONV after the use of nitrous. This could be particularly problematic postoperatively when vomiting may impact ICP. That's a very good point. There is good data to support an increased risk for postoperative nausea and vomiting with nitrous oxide, especially among procedures of long duration like mo most neurosurgical cases. So I generally do avoid nitrous oxide in somebody who is at significant risk for postoperative nausea and vomiting. However, in the patient that really doesn't seem to be at increased risk, um, and I, I plan to go ahead and use nitrous oxide, I would still consider using it and providing some medications for postoperative nausea, vomiting, prophylaxis.
Some providers feel that nitrous oxide may worsen ischemia. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a very good question. So based on some older animal data, uh, nitrous oxide was found to significantly increase cerebral metabolic rate. And there were some concerns that with an increase in cerebral metabolic rate, you uh, in the brain would be, if the brain was put at ischemia, you would really then decrease the safe ischemic time for the brain. However, there is very limited animal data looking at the impact of nitrous oxide in the setting of cerebral ischemia, and even in those data, there really is conflicting results. Um, you also have to remember that there probably is a mechanistic reason why nitrous, why nitrous oxide may actually be protective against cerebral ischemia in that it's an NMDA receptor antagonist and that would potentially attenuate excitotoxicity that may occur in the setting of cerebral ischemia. Looking at human data, there are three post hoc analyses of prospectively collected data that I'm aware of that all failed to show any effect of nitrous oxide on outcome that might be related to increased risk for cerebral ischemia. And I was involved in two of these studies that were uh, both post hoc analyses of the intraoperative hypothermia for aneurysm surgery trial. So initially, my group looked at the entire cohort of 1,000 patients and stratified them based on nitrous oxide use. And we found that there was no difference in gross neurological deficits or cognitive deficits at three months post-op. However, as that manuscript was undergoing peer review, the study was, was criticized because not all patients were subject to cerebral ischemia in that, in that setting when we just looked at all uh, patients in the cohort. And I think that was a very reasonable criticism. So we performed a second analysis that included only patients who underwent temporary occlusion of a feeding artery during surgery and stratified only those patients based on nitrous oxide use and also found no difference in gross neurological deficits or uh, cognitive dysfunction or cognitive function postoperatively. In 2012, uh, Sanders et al. performed a post hoc analysis of the general anesthesia or local anesthesia for carotid surgery trial or the GALA trial, and they also found no difference in outcome among those who did and did not receive nitrous oxide. So although there is potentially some mechanistic reasons why nitrous oxide may uh, increase uh, or worsen cerebral ischemia, um, there are some mechanistic reasons why nitrous oxide could be protective. And really in three uh, human trials, I mean, granted, they're both all post hoc analyses of prospectively collected data. Uh, there was no uh, association between nitrous oxide use and any sort of uh, worsening of cerebral ischemia. Are there any circumstances where nitrous should be avoided during neurosurgery? Yes, I can think of a few, but I should say this is probably not an exhaustive list. So in the setting of an acute venous embolism, uh, nitrous oxide should be avoided. Uh, someone at risk for having air in uh, intracranial or any sort of intradural air, so that's intracranial or air um, after spine surgery where the dura was breached. Um, I'd also be concerned about using nitrous oxide in any patient who recently suffered some sort of traumatic injury um, because of concerns for either intracranial or intrathoracic air. 
uh, it would be contraindicated in procedures where neurological monitoring, such as motor evoke potentials, would potentially preclude its use, and then um, a softer uh, call might be a patient that's at increased risk for post-operative nausea and vomiting. So with that said, do you believe nitrous has a role in spine surgery, and what may be the benefits? Sure. I do think that nitrous oxide would be helpful um, and would have a role in patients having spine surgery. Um, like I said earlier, it, it's uh, um, fast off, so it may be a little bit more forgiving and provide a faster wake-up um, when you're working with trainees who really haven't mastered the, the quick neuro wake-up. It, it also has some analgesic properties that may help minimize pain on wake-up. And in fact, I have to say I really like the combination of nitrous oxide and dexmedetomidine as part of a balanced anesthetic, so in addition to other drugs such as an inhaled anesthetic or propofol, for patients who are opioid dependent having spine surgery. I feel that that combination of nitrous oxide and dexmedetomidine really tends to offer this, this extra margin of safety to reduce the chance of having a patient that's going to wake up in excessive pain immediately post-operatively because, you know, they were very difficult to dose opioids and you really misjudge this and underdose them. So it, it offers this little margin of safety that's going to help um, have the opioid-dependent spine patients uh, under better post-operative pain control um, while still allowing for a fast wake-up. From a practical perspective, can you detail how you would use nitrous during a typical neurosurgical case, specifically the timing of use and the MAC dose? So if I decide to use nitrous oxide uh, for a craniotomy case, for example, I would tend to start it once I move to a lower fresh gas flow uh, state. I would also tend to use it anywhere um, from uh, inspired concentration of maybe 50 to 70% in combination with an inhaled drug um, or propofol. And then typically after uh, dural closure, I would turn down my isoflurane or my sebofluorane um, or a propofol infusion while still keeping my uh, fresh gas flows on the lower end um, and continue using nitrous oxide through the end of the case. And then I would tend to turn it off after I have reversed my, um, my paralytic when I want the patient to wake up. And then I would continue, I would consider using antiemetics such as ondansetron and dexamethasone. Are you at all concerned about the environmental as impact of nitrous oxide? Yes, definitely. That's a very good question. Um, so similar to carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, and other inhaled um, anesthetics such as isoflurane, sevoflurane, and desflurane absorb infrared light, and that um, when they get into the atmosphere, this could potentially, well, I, sh I shouldn't say potentially, it, it would um, cause an enhancement of the greenhouse effect. So in addition to that, nitrous oxide unlike the other volatile anesthetics, may have an effect on the stability of ozone in the atmosphere. Um, of the currently used halogenated anesthetics, uh, desflurane probably has the greatest adverse effect on, on the greenhouse effect. So I have to admit, I have essentially taken desflurane completely out of my practice, but I would also have to admit nitrous oxide is a really hard habit for me to break. Um, 
for a couple of things that I, for reasons that I have, have uh, alluded to earlier, this kind of faster wake up, this little bit of a margin of safety when working with uh, trainees, and then this uh, effect on analgesia. Um, I guess to keep in mind, agriculture is the agricultural industry is probably the greatest producer of environmental nitrous oxide, much greater than um, the medical use, but I still really want to do my part. So um, I really carefully think about whether or not I want to use nitrous oxide for a case and whether it's really going to be of benefit. And if I feel that it is, I use nitrous oxide when I'm using fresh gas flows um, during the maintenance part of a general anesthetic so that I'm minimizing the amount of nitrous oxide that I'm using. I occasionally do some pediatric anesthesia and I really like it for inhalational inductions in combination with sevoflurane. But I really then try to be conscious about minimizing the duration that nitrous oxide is actually at high gas, um, high gas flow so I can minimize the amount of nitrous oxide that I use. Thank you, Dr. Pasternak, for agreeing to this interview. For the audience, I hope this clarifies some of the misperceptions on this very useful anesthetic agent.